Placing our faith in Jesus and what He has done for us is just the beginning of our relationship with Him. Otherwise, we really have no reason to be here at all. And, and this series isn't just for new believers. And so if we think of our relationship with Christ as a continuous journey, we all have next steps to take in our pursuit of Him, no matter how long we've been a Christian. And so the elders have identified four major areas that we should be continually engaging in as we seek to follow Scripture and the mission that Jesus has given the church to make disciples. And so these four essential engagements are grow, connect, serve, and reach. And so those are the four weeks in this series. So last week was week one. Pastor Keith took us through the first area, grow. He focused on how we all ought to be focused on growing deeper in our knowledge and relationship with Christ. Again, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, Regardless of how long you've been at the chapel, there is always room to grow and to learn. And that's what Paul tells us in the first two verses of Romans 12, where we'll be all series long, Romans 12, that the way we grow is through the renewing of our minds. And that can only happen through engaging with the Word of God. And that's why if you've been around here for any time at all, you understand our emphasis on things like Bible study and Sunday school classes. So this this morning we're going to continue through the next couple of verses. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 3, 4, and 5. And what we'll see is that the product of a renewed mind is new thinking about ourselves, and new thinking about those around us. We're going to explore the answers to three questions. Three crucial questions in light of our relationship with Christ and the new life we have in Him. Here are the questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? And who can I depend on? In one way or another, I think we all would love to be able to answer these questions with confidence, no matter where you find yourself in your walk with Jesus. So as we open up the Scripture together, will you just pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray that you will open up your word to us this morning, that you will enlighten our minds, touch our hearts with your truth, that we would be found faithful, to your text, to your plan, to your purpose for this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. So we're going to jump into the text with verse 3. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. First question we want to look at this morning is, who am I? Who am I? 
Paul points us to the fact that we are saved by grace. If anyone was to understand the concept of grace, I think it would be Paul. You're familiar with Paul's miraculous conversion story on the Damascus Road. This used to be Saul, the overly zealous Pharisee who was running around persecuting Christians, who was present at the stoning of Stephen. This was Saul. And I'm sure if you were a Christian at the time and you heard just the name Saul, fear struck your heart. You didn't want to be anywhere near Saul if you were a Christian. But as Saul is going along his day, Jesus meets him. And what does Jesus do to Saul, the persecutor of his people? He extends grace. He extends grace and Paul would never forget that moment. How could he? Paul remembers where he came from. And he wants us to do the same. He says in the beginning of verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say. It's not about Paul. He levels the field and he says it's grace. And we should remember it's grace as well. He wants us to know that it's grace. It's not wisdom. It's not works. It's not personality. It's grace that should be the foundation for everything that we do. Why is grace so important? Because grace keeps us humble. Paul goes on to say, we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. He says, beware of pride. Pride is dangerous. Stay away from pride. And the way to stay away from pride is grace. He wants us to think rightly about ourselves. He wants us to understand who we are according to what God says. But Paul knows that our tendency is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. How does that happen? I think it happens most commonly in two ways. Number one is what we just talked about. We forget where we came from. We forget that we are sinners too. We forget that were it not for grace, we would be lost too. We forget that we are not deserving of grace more than anyone else out there. We forget where we came from. And when we neglect that, or we forget that truth, it can only lead to an inflated view of ourselves. We start to think we're something when we're not. We start to rely on ourselves instead of God. We start to be impressed with our own talents and our own accomplishments. And it leads only to pride. If we lose sight of who we are in Christ, if we lose sight of grace, we are tempted to think that we're okay all on our own. But pride comes in in another way, maybe an even more common way. We start to lose sight of who we are in Christ 
when we compare ourselves to others. Sure, we might realize that we need God's grace, but hey, at least we're not like that guy. At least we didn't do what she did. At least I don't struggle like they do. Well, I can't believe that they would do that. Oh, man, I would never do what they did. Can you believe what they wore? Can you believe what they listened to? Can you believe I would never do that? This is such a common mistake that so many of us make. I can't believe that they would go to that church. I would never struggle with this. Instead of focusing on who we are in Christ, we look at how much better we seem to be than those people over there. You know, comparing ourselves to others can work in the opposite way as well. But it's just as bad of of a pride issue. You start to look around you, you start to look around this room and say, well, I'm not as talented as that guy. I, I can never preach like Pastor Keith. I can never have the patience that that woman has. I don't have the talent that those musicians do. And then you start saying to yourself, I'm not really important. It doesn't matter if I'm here or not. You look at some people and you say, man, I don't connect with a worship like those people in the front row do. You say, man, I, I don't, I don't really have any, any talents at all. And so you look around you and you allow your view of others to cause you to look down on your own self, to think less of yourself, to think that you don't matter. That you're not needed. You know what that is? It's pride. You know why? Because who's in focus in both of those situations? Thinking too highly of yourself, it's about you. Thinking too lowly of yourself, it's about you. And Paul is saying, this is not what God intends. Other people do not define who you are. I don't want you to think too high and I don't want you to take think too low. I want you to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul wants us just to think rightly about ourselves. He wants us to think accurately, correctly, based on how God sees us. Paul says we are to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You're like, see, right there, measure of faith. They have a lot, I have a little. It's not my fault, it was assigned by God. All right, hang on. Does God give a lot of faith over here and a little faith over here? And we just sit back and say, well, it is what it is. Well, I don't think so, not exactly. This is how I think we should think about this concept. All right, pretend the United States of America just became a kingdom. United under one king. The king comes into Chapel of the Lake. 
And he says, hey, I've divided up the former United States of America into equal portions. They all have the same exact land area. We got a nice little grid and worked it all out. And I am giving you one of those parcels. And what I expect in return is that you take care of that piece of land, that you use it and cultivate it and tend to it, that you make it produce what it can. Now, do we all have a measure of land? Land? Yes, we do. Is it all equal? Well, yes and no. It's equal in land area. It's the same size. It's equal in origin. It comes from the same guy, the king. We're all part of the same kingdom. So yes, in those ways, it's equal. But does every parcel look the same? No, the pieces in Arizona look very different than the pieces in Maine. Right? Some people have desert and rocks, and some people have lakes and rivers and streams, and some people have green and grass and pastures and hills, and some people have mountains and snow and animals and forests. And then I look at my piece of land and I say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, if I'm in Arizona, it's not going to do me any good to think about what the people in Maine are doing. It doesn't apply to me. I'm responsible for the piece of land that was given to me. I think, in some ways, this is what is meant by a measure of faith. God has given us all saving faith by grace as we have placed our trust in Christ. We all have a measure of faith. But faith is going to look differently in every person. And my responsibility is to exercise and live from the faith that God has given me. I don't need to worry about what others have. I just know that God has given me a measure of faith. I don't need to worry because we all are in the same kingdom and we all serve the same king. That's what's meant by a measure of faith. I think these are the keys to knowing who we are, to know grace, to stay humble, and to rely on faith. So as I come to understand who I am in light of Christ, it helps me answer the next question, where do I fit? And so Paul goes on to tell us here that while we shouldn't gauge ourselves based on those around us, at the same time, we are connected to those around us. Look with me at verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. The question, where do I fit, can be answered pretty simply. You fit in the church. You fit in Christ. You fit in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is called the church. But we can also define church in two ways. We have the capital C church, the universal church, 
That means as I place my faith in Christ, I am part of this big C universal church. It's comprised of every believer everywhere at all times. The moment you become a Christian is when you uh, become a part of the big C universal church. But then you also have what I would call the little C church, the local church. And that's the gathering of believers who have committed to follow Christ with one another. So when Paul says, we, though many, are one body in Christ, which church is he talking about? Yes. I believe it's both. That our place is in Christ and our place is in church. Both big C church and little c church. The universal and local church. And the reason is quite simple. The people of God gathered together in the same place at the same time has always been referred to as the church. Whether it be the believers in Corinth or Rome or Ephesus, we could go on. They always come together and they were always called the church. There's really not a concept of a believer apart from the church in the New Testament. And I think this is a really important concept to grasp because I think there's a misconception out there that you can belong to the big C universal church without belonging to a little c local church. But in the New Testament, over and over and over again, to be a believer meant two things. You were baptized and you came together for the Lord's Supper. What did they call the coming together for the Lord's Supper? Church. That was who defined who was in and who was out. And that's been the universal practice in the New Testament to be a Christian is to belong to a church. Belong to a church. And we're not going to get into it much farther today. I'd be happy to talk with more with you about it. But this is why I believe local church membership is not only biblical, but it's pretty much required. For every believer. The church is not a social club. It's not just a group of people that have this common interest of religion or God. And so we come together on Sunday so we can talk about religion. That's not what the church is. When we talk about the church as something greater, something more profound, something more beautiful and purposeful. And that's we are one body. In Christ. And if we have chosen Christ, we have chosen His body, the church. And that's expressed as the local gathering of Christians comes together. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And so as the church, this is where we find our mission and our purpose. We are no longer living for ourselves, but we live for Christ. His mission is now our mission. We see ourselves as just one part of the whole. But we also remember 
that even though we are all in Christ and in the church, and we are all enabled by grace through faith, we don't all look the same. We're not supposed to be cookie-cutter Christians that all do the same thing and look the same way. And so Paul uses one of his favorite analogies to illustrate what this thing called the church looks like. The body. He says again, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're going to talk a lot about this next week. Next week is is about our spiritual gifts, what they're for, and how we ought to be using them. But here's the important thing that we should understand right now. When we're asking this question, where do I fit? Because we're not all the same. Because we have all been given a different measure of faith. And because, if you look at the beginning of uh, verse 6, because we have been given different gifts according to grace, we are all needed in the church. If you go over to 1 Corinthians 12, you need to do it right now, but Paul expands this analogy of the body. And he basically says, how absurd would it be, my paraphrase, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That would be ridiculous. I need to walk out of here later. If my eyes say, I don't need you, feet, I'm not going anywhere. If my feet say, well, I don't need you, eyes, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm getting nervous. I'm going to fall over here. That's absurd. That's Can I use the word stupid in church? That's dumb. Your body doesn't do that. But what I'm afraid is that we can do that as church members, as individuals who come and we say, oh, I don't need you. Oh, we don't need them. We don't want them. I'm not important. It doesn't matter if I don't show up. It's okay if I just show up occasionally. You know what you're saying? You're saying, I have no need of you. And Paul's saying, no. You're needed. If you're wondering where you fit, the answer is found alongside other believers in the church using your gifts and abilities because they're unique to you for Christ and for each other. If I was to chop off my foot and put it over there on the piano bench, what good is that foot? It's not. Good answer. Sometimes we act like we're that foot. We like to do our own thing. But that's like you just chopped off your own foot and tossed it away. You need that thing if you want to walk. We'll talk more about that next week. If you're wondering where you fit, it's alongside other believers. And that means the opposite is true. If you're not here, the body is suffering. So when I realize who I am and where I fit in, I come to this question, who can I depend on? Maybe it seems 
like an odd question, so stick with me and hopefully it will make sense. We said earlier that, you know, when we become a Christian, we become a part of God's family. And that language is intentional there. It's family. Again, we're not a social club. We're family. And that's what makes this room unique. We are connected to one another. As we know Christ, we are adopted by the Father. And if we're all adopted, that means we're all siblings. It's a big family. Paul says at the end of verse 5, what does it mean to be family? What does it mean to be a church? Look at the last few words of verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Well, what does it mean to be a member of one another? Well, it means that you belong. You're part of the family no matter what. But I think it goes deeper. I think it means that you can and should depend on one another. Who can I depend on? The answer should be the church. And not the church as in the staff. And not the church as the pastor. The church as individuals. I'm sorry to say that it doesn't always happen that way. But I know it's supposed to. Who can you depend on? The church. And everyone in the church. Because I belong to you. And you belong to me. So now I have someone I can depend on. And I'll be the first to admit, like, this is not me. I don't need anybody. I got it. I'm good. And that is our society. We're individualistic. We're Western. We're American. We can do it ourselves. And so this concept of being dependent on other people, it just, it's foreign. But the New Testament church was wholly dependent on one another for everything. I'm going to read the last, last few verses of Acts chapter 2. And just listen to how they were interconnected and interdependent. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is what it looks like to be dependent on one another. But if you're like me, you start, this objection starts swelling up. Like, well, wait a minute. That was the first century church. And I'll be the first one to admit, one of my pet peeves is like when I see on church websites, we're trying to be an Acts 2 church. You can't. We're on the other side of the world. It's 2,000 years later. The context is completely different. So you're like, man, don't have to be dependent. Well, now I disagree. I would agree that our context is different. But I actually think that our need to connect and depend on one another may actually be even greater than the first century church because of the kind of culture we live in. No, it's not about food and clothing and furniture. But it is about health. About spiritual health. About accountability. About 
spiritual growth. We do need to depend on one another so that we can learn how to love and how to forgive and how to pray. These things can only happen in community. And and we need to depend on one another to help us become the people and the church that God desires. It only happens in community. It only happens if I'm relying on you and you're relying on me as individuals in the same body. We need the church in order to be the church. Belonging to a church is how we find out who we are and where we fit. It's where we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The church is where our families are strengthened, our marriages are built, and friendships are formed. The church is where the gospel is proclaimed each week for our own good and the good of our neighbors. It's through the connections in the church that we minister to those in need. It's through the connections in the church that we collectively send missionaries to bring the good news to the lost. This is the church that is described throughout the New Testament. And this is the church that we should be striving to be. How do we become this kind of church? How do we foster deep connections that help us grow into Christ and to each other? I can tell you, here at the chapel, it happens in small groups. Whether it be a home group, a serve group, it happens with a few people that get together and get to know each other. We're too big for everyone to know everybody. But you saw at the end of Acts 2, the church gathered together at the temple in Jerusalem, but they also gathered together in homes as they broke bread together. We understand that we can't have an intimate relationship with the 300 some odd people that call chapel their home. Everyone doesn't need to know everyone. But everyone should know someone. Everyone should have someone they can depend on in our congregation. Everyone should have someone they are connected to that is helping them grow closer to Christ. And if that's not you, if you're not connected, I'm telling you, you got to think about your next step. I'm happy that this is a place where it's pretty easy to connect. We've got home groups and Bible studies and, and Sunday school classes, but we got things where people serve together. Again, talking about that next week. But it, when we rub shoulders together, that's where connection is formed. Maybe it's going to the discovery class. You only missed the first one today if you weren't there. Go to the next three. See if this is actually a place where you can commit to. If you want to be one of us. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's coming in to talk about church membership because you didn't really think it was that big of a deal anyway. And so you're just here, but you're not a member. You should come talk to us about that. Maybe you need to join that Sunday school class or home group. Maybe you've been around for a while and you're connected. Well, maybe you need to lead a home group. Maybe you need to host a home group. 
Maybe you're sitting here and you see some people that you don't know their name. Do you know how to connect with them? Walk. Hi, my name's Aaron. I don't think we've met. This is what I do almost every week. I can't remember your name. Like, it's okay. Because we're supposed to be members one of another. We're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to be together in Christ. Maybe you simply just need to start showing up to church consistently. So that you can get to know some people. And some people can recognize that you're here. Maybe you need to come a couple minutes early so you can talk to somebody. And maybe you need to stay a couple minutes later instead of bolting for the door. I get hungry too, I know. Whatever your next step is, reach out. Talk to someone. That's why we're here. We're in this pursuit together. One church, one body, all together in Christ. Who can I depend on? The church. Who am I? Where do I fit? Who can I depend on? We get the answers to these questions as we are connected to the body. How might we become a church that is known for its connections and its love for one another? What would it look like if we all strove to know and connect with one another? Wouldn't that be a good place to be? I'm just going to throw out a couple ideas for you to consider. What I, what I, what I think makes a church is, is how we see the church and the people in the church. And I just want to give you some examples about how maybe we need to start changing our thinking about the church and its role in our lives. And so maybe when you're buying your next home, I know, crazy idea, you might consider how close it is to the chapel or whatever church you're a part of. Knowing that this is the place where you connect to other believers. What if before you make that next big purchase, you were to consider, well, how is this going to affect my ability to give to someone if they come up with a need, especially those in the household of God. What would it look like if we belonged to a church who prioritized the social interactions within the church? Which might mean we have to stop some social things outside of the church. What if we consider being friends with people in this room who we don't think we like very much, or who don't really look like us, or who we never thought we could be friends with, but we recognize that we're all one body. We're all united in Christ and in His mission. What if you can, would consider how that next job or promotion will affect your ability to serve or attend church services? What if we became a church who submitted to church leadership and instruction, including discipline and counsel? Here's one that I know everyone can do. What if we would be a church that was committed to praying for the body? 
I know we do a lot of these things well, and that one in particular. Send out prayer requests every week. We send it out to, I don't know, 180, 190 email addresses. You can actually see how many times you open it or not. You're, you're faithful praying for people. That's how we connect with one another. What if we were a church who was committed to sticking through the rough times? who understood that maybe their feelings might get hurt every once in a while, who understands that maybe their preferences isn't their preference isn't always acknowledged. What if we committed for the sake of the body to be that kind of person and individual within the church? Next week, what if we sought to use our gifts in the service of one another? Some people might be thinking that's crazy. And I'm just sitting here saying, I think it's just a beautiful picture of what God intends for His church. It's what it's designed to be. And I know that it's not just my opinion. I'm going to close with verses from Philippians 2. And I think addresses this better than anything else. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know this is the kind of church that God wants us to become. And I know that this is how God wants us as individuals to be. Because Christ modeled it for us. What would it look like? if that's what we pursued in our connection with one another. Will you pray with me? Dear, I'm thankful that we are here in a church full of loving people, of people who are connected, of people who are reaching out, of people who do notice and and, and reach out to those around them. Lord, I pray for all of us that that we would consider our next steps, whatever whatever that might be, that you would bring it and make it apparent in our minds. Lord, I pray that Chapel of the Lake would be known by its love for one another. It's how we are united together through your Son. Lord, we'll thank, we're thankful for your Word and your Spirit who reveals all truth to us. We pray that you would help us become the church you desire us to be. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.